All right, today we're in 1 John chapter 3, and J.D., you marked right out the gate, you marked verse 1. I, I marked verse 1 because it talks about uh, how God sees us as his children. We're the child of God. He calls us the children of God, and, and not everybody has children, so they may not be able to relate to it quite the same as those who are, are parents. But for me, once I stopped and thought about it for just a moment and what it means to be a, a child of God, I, I see, and if I turn it around and, and look at my children and what I would do and how I love them and, and what I would do for them, it just becomes clear. And, and it's one of the places in the Bible that is clear to me versus uh, a lot of the things in the Bible I find confusing, opaque, or, or just... Uh, not quite sure what they mean, but this one to be a child of God is just speaks to me in a way that I can I can grasp, I can understand, and it, it just opened up a whole different understanding of who God is and and what my relationship is to Him, what He wants in a relationship with me. Yeah, let's camp on that for a second because JD, what did your kids have to do to become your kids? Yeah, absolutely nothing. They just they're just born. <laughs> Yeah, they were born into your family. You guys did all the work and you brought them into the family. And I think it's really good for people to remember as they're reading First John, really as they're reading anything in the Bible is the Gospel of John says in chapter one, it says that God gave us the right to become children of God. You know, this is the last major letter written in the New Testament. And so we have to keep that in mind as we're reading it, that I think the concepts that John is writing about here are, you know, how can we know that we are children of God? Well, first of all, you know, you know, that you become a child of God through faith. It's not something that you do. It's not something you can work for. You're born into the family by faith. But I think the message of 1 John is that that should change the way you live, right? JD, in our circle at Pursue God, it's number one, we trust Jesus and that's how we're born into the family of God. But then number two, and I think that's what the main focus of First John is, that as Christians, the Holy Spirit is in us, moving us to live a different kind of life. And for me, it gives me a whole different view of just how I view God as his child versus just as this human being that has no purpose in life or no purpose on earth. Yeah, because he makes that distinction even in verse one. He says, the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we're God's children. So there's this dividing line. You know, the people of faith who are God's children, and we know it even though you know, in this world, sometimes it's hard and there's suffering and, you know, and, and we're, there's always this battle with the world. Even even for us, there's battle with the flesh. But he's saying there's there are the people who are his children and then there are people who belong to this world. So you either belong to the Father or you belong to this world. And then in verse three, he talks about this eager expectation that we have of heaven, that there's this sense of, in theology, it's called the already and the not yet. We're already, you know, sons of God, children of God, sons and daughters but we're not yet completely sinless. And so he, in verse three, he talks about this eager expectation that someday it's all going to make sense in heaven. But in the meantime, we're here on earth, you know, battling it out, trying to keep ourselves pure. Well, I see you marked up nine before I could get to it. And uh, verse nine says, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. And I like the first half, especially about they don't make a practice of sinning. So I think it's a little confusing when they say they can't keep on sinning, but but I, I, I can you explain that? Yeah, to me, when I mark this up in my Bible, I underline make a practice of. I think there's a distinction between making a practice of sinning and sinning. 
And so people who are reading this, um, you know, I don't believe that what John is saying is that there's a point in your life where as a Christian, you no longer sin anymore. Um, if, if that's the case, I haven't gotten there, JD, maybe you have, you're older than <laughs> I am, but I think there's a difference between, you know, you still struggle with sin and, and you recognize you're not perfect and you have lustful thoughts or whatever it is, whatever sins you, you know, you, you're angry or you lose your temper, you know, the fruit of the spirit isn't perfectly evidenced in my life every single day, but I don't make a practice of sinning. I make a practice of the presence of God. I make a practice of trying to remain in Christ and honor him and disciple others and be in the word and be a giver and allow the fruit of the spirit to be in me. I guess what I would say to people reading this is, what are you making a practice of? In other words, what are you being intentional about in your life? Are you being intentional about honoring God in your life? Or are you being intentional about sinning in your life? Maybe that's a good way to think about it. Yeah. Are you following God's love or are you following your own? Yeah. And then in verse 11, and I love this about John, he just keeps coming back to this theme of love. And now he says this in verse 11, this is a message you've heard from the beginning, which, which is true. This is what Jesus said to his disciples, that we should love one another. And, and so he keeps coming back to this. In verse 16, he says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. And so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. So he keeps drawing us back to practical applications of theological truths, right? If you're a Christian who's out there reading this and you love to dive deep into the theology, I'm, I'm going to warn you that John, and this is the last major letter written in the New Testament, John is, is saying he's not diving into these deep theological truths. He's just coming back to the basics. If you say you love God, then that means you should love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And verse 17 is about as practical as it gets. And, I, and it's something I was, I, I struggle with. And if you maybe can help us understand, it says, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? What does that mean? I mean, do we give all our money away? Do we give most of our money away? Do we give some, I mean, I get it, but I don't. Well, I think you're right. I think it's, he's giving us a practical application of the principle of love. And in the early church, you know, we see this in, in the first several chapters of Acts where everyone ha shared everything they had in common. They shared their possessions. You know, there, were, there wasn't this major distinction between rich and poor in the church. They really, like, think about it. If for your kids, you started at the beginning talking about your children. If your children were genuinely in need, you're going to help your children, right? You're going to help them out of a hole. You don't want to try to enable bad uh, habits in them, right? But you're going to help your kids because you love your kids. And what he's saying here is, look, you have if you have brothers and sisters who have genuine need, you're going to sacrifice financially to help those people out. And so I, I do think what you said, JD, is it's a it's one of the most practical applications. Don't fool yourself with this sort of theological definition of love. No, he says what it should do practically is it should reveal itself in your willingness to help other people. So I don't know. I think everyone needs to pray about that in their own situation. What does this really mean for me? JD, I know I, I heard a story about one family in a church who there was another family that that really had a hard time making their mortgage payments and this other family they didn't have a lot of kids they had a couple of really good jobs they literally 
donated their house to this other family in the church and they went and bought another home and got a mortgage again and uh when i heard that story i'm like wow boy that sure is this verse 17 in action wow that that is that is living your faith yeah so i think everyone has to pray about it on their own what does this mean in my life am i really loving other people in my world or am i just saying that i am i think maybe a more timely application of that is with immigrants right the immigrants who are followers of jesus um, or in our particular church, JD, we have Spanish-speaking campuses. And do we love our brothers and sisters who, you know, worship in another language, but, but do we love them enough to actually help them meet their needs? If we have the means, are we going to be willing to help them meet their needs? Wow. And in verse 19 even calls our actions in there. You marked that one up. Yeah, yeah, that's what he's saying is don't fool yourself. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. And then he says this other theme, so that we will be confident when we stand before God. Because in this theme that we keep seeing over and over again in First John is feeling confident that we truly are followers of Jesus. And I think some people might be living a life that does not reflect the love of God at all. And yet they say they're Christians and they live in this constant fear and this guilt and their conscience is always condemning them. And I would say to that Christian, pay attention to that because maybe that's a warning sign that you say that you love Jesus, but it's not actually true. There's no fruit of it. There's no evidence of it in your life. And so if you really want to have confidence and if you're not feeling that confidence, maybe it's because God is nudging you to really go all in with your faith. And I think another part of, of that comes down to uh, talking about in verse 21, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with a bold confidence. And not feeling guilty to me is understanding who God is and, and going back to the early verse about he's your father. You, you know, you're a child of God and you shouldn't feel guilty about going to your dad for things. Coming to God with confidence is simple as just going to your parents, right? It's, it's, you should have that comfort level maybe. I guess not everybody does either. I don't know. Yeah, so I think this is speaking to the person who does feel guilty and they, they know that there's just something not right and that we it should draw us into a relationship with God where we say, I need you, I need a closer relationship with you. Maybe there's some things in my life that are off right now and uh, I want to allow that guilt, that guilt that I'm feeling to draw me closer to you because you're my father. So I would say to the readers and to the listeners right now don't just shake off that guilt that feeling of guilt and condemnation maybe that's a tutor leading you back to your father to say god let me get some things right you know i've put my faith in you maybe years ago but now i've kind of wandered off the path and and i think john would say that those people should draw closer to god and allow that to lead them back into his loving arms instead of just using grace as a license to keep sinning you know, which is a theme that we see over and over in the Gospels. That's good. And then he wraps it all up there in 23, doesn't he? Yeah, and then in verse 23, again, he just comes back to these two basic things, faith and love. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of, the, of his son, Jesus Christ, and then we must love one another just as he commanded. So to me, this is truth one and truth two. Trust Jesus and then honor God by the rule of love, loving people. So when you trust Jesus and you genuinely have faith, then you're going to love people and that love is going to show itself in practical things like giving, for example. And so once again, John keeps it super simple and so many of us need that today. Amen.